Well, when last we were together, we saw in Acts chapter 12 how the power of prayer led, led an angel of the Lord to rescue Peter from both prison and he was in Jerusalem in prison and, and this angel rescued Peter as well from imminent execution. We saw that last time. And, and this morning we're going to move from Peter to Barnabas and Saul. We, we've seen the power of prayer in action, but now we're going to see again the power of the Holy Spirit in, in connection and conjunction with prayer and fasting. We'll touch on fasting for just a moment this morning. And, but really the willingness on the part of the Christ follower. And that's us, that's you and me. We're, we're Christ followers. So the willingness of us as Christ followers to, to go, to, to be available, and we're going to see that this morning in Acts, in, at the very end of Acts 12 into 13. Just imagine what all the Lord could do with His people. We talked a few minutes there at prayer time about events here on, on site where the Lord could work in His will and His way. If, if we are willing to let Him have the reins and to allow His Spirit to be in control. Well, Barnabas and Saul have been in Jerusalem, evidently, during the, these miraculous events surrounding Peter. And when last we left Barnabas and Saul in Acts chapter 11, if you remember, they were taking this offering for famine relief. They were leaving Antioch and they were taking it to Jerusalem. There, there had been a prophecy saying that a famine was coming. And so they passed the hat... And then Barnabas and Saul take this offering to be used by the church when that famine will occur. It's forthcoming. No one knows when it's coming. Um, but this love offering will, will, be, will stand ready to be used at that time. Well, we see in Acts chapter 12, in verse 25, that Barnabas and Saul, they return to Antioch. And they fulfilled this mission in Jerusalem. And, and they have along with them, they have John Mark. He, they're mentoring John Mark. He's young in the faith, and so he's with them, and they're mentoring him. And, and so we turn the page to Acts chapter 13, verse 1, and we see that there's prophets and teachers. There are prophets and teachers in Antioch. They're at the new church. And there's five listed. In addition to Barnabas and Saul, there's, there's three names. There's Simeon, there's Lucius, and then there's Menaean. And it says here that, that Menaean, it's interesting, that he is possibly the foster brother of King Herod, raised in the same household. Think about that. A family member of Herod is now a prophet and teacher for Christ. That's a miracle. That, that is a miracle of the Holy Spirit. And, and when we see that, just that one phrase, if you get nothing else today, if nothing else catches you, the truth of the gospel and the power of the Lord and the Holy Spirit can invade any family, can restore any family. That's the beauty of the power of the gospel. And that's great news. These five, they're serving the Lord, and they're fasting. And the Holy Spirit says, Set Barnabas and Saul apart from me for the work for which I have called them. 
So while doing the ministry, these prophets and teachers, they get this impression, this spiritual impression, that the Holy Spirit has called out Barnabas and Saul for work and for witness. They've been serving with this new church in Antioch, and they've not just been sitting around. They've been working, but it's time for them to move on. Things have been going great guns in Antioch for the, for the last year. Remember in Acts 11, we, we saw that Barnabas, you know, he went to get Saul, and they came back to Antioch, and they were teaching in Antioch for a year. It's a long time. They, they've, they have invested in relationships, gospel relationships. They've, they've preached the gospel. They've mentored other believers. They've, they've counseled other believers. They've encouraged the church. They've spent time. They've poured out their lives... They've been faithful. And now the Holy Spirit is saying it's time for Barnabas and Saul to receive their next assignment. Well, it says here when, these, when they have fasted and they've prayed, they lay their hands on Barnabas and Saul and they send them away. And that seems kind of quick. Well, one writer says this. Well, they get this spiritual message from the Lord. And so these prophets and teachers, they set a day really for ordination. Like we would do a, a deacon ordination or an elder ordination or ordination for, for someone who's called into gospel ministry. They set the day. And then to prepare for it, they, they fast and they pray. And then they lay, they, so they do that and then they lay their hands on Barnabas and Saul. They, they anoint them as vessels through whom the Holy Spirit will work. It's not magic, but it's a sign of faith. It's a sign of really commissioning. And so we've mentioned, we've probably said the word Holy Spirit. I don't know how many times we've said that word yet this morning. But a reminder, what is the role of the Holy Spirit again? We call the Holy Spirit the helper, the comforter. Thank God we have that. In addition to being helper and comforter, Jesus at the Last Supper, when he's preparing the disciples, his disciples, for the coming of the Holy Spirit, and the fact that he would have to exit so the Holy Spirit would arrive, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will come to convict the world regarding sin. That's John chapter 16. We hear a lot about the Holy Spirit. But one thing that, that's not spoken of a whole lot really in this day is the fact that the Holy Spirit... One of his jobs is to convict sin. And so when we hear Jesus saying that when he comes, he will convict the world regarding sin, well, that's saying that there's sin here. And, and that's, that's part of his job. Also, Jesus says, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own... But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. So Jesus is saying the Spirit will communicate, and he says this, He will glorify me. So the Spirit, yes, he's helper, yes, he's comforter, but he's also coming to bring conviction of sin, and he's coming to glorify the Son. And a reminder... The Holy Spirit of God will not act in a way that is inconsistent with the Word of God. He won't. And some folks claim that the Holy Spirit is working in new ways in these days. And, and okay, the Holy Spirit does bring revival. The Holy Spirit brings 
renewal, refreshing, but he does it for the sake of gospel advance. And, and this is not an issue, and it won't be an issue as long as Jesus is honored. As long as Jesus' word is honored. As long as Jesus' mission is honored. If those three things are happening, then we can call it a move of the Holy Spirit. But it's not a fresh move of the Spirit if what the Lord has previously called sinful behavior, if that's encouraged or enabled or edified, that is not a move of the Holy Spirit. And friends, that's going on in these days calling works of Satan the work of God. Regarding fasting, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, back in Matthew 6, Jesus makes this assumption of his followers that we fast and that we pray. When we fast and when we pray, we are intentionally setting aside the act of eating food in order to turn our faces towards seeking the Lord in prayer. For instance, take that lunch hour, and rather than fix lunch or run to the drive-thru or what have you, you take that lunch hour to, to read some scripture, sing, sing some lines of a favorite hymn which inspires you, a worship song which inspires you, that pulls your, your thoughts and your, and, your, and your grateful praise toward Jesus. Praise Him and thank Him. Praise Him first. Thank Him first for all that He's doing, the things you can see, and for the things that you can't see that He's doing. And then you pour out your concerns before Him. You pour out your concerns. Pray for, for your loved ones. Pray, pray for your friends. Pray for your church. Pray, pray for your preacher. <laughs> pray for yourself. Hmm. Fasting and praying. So, so, so Barnabas and Saul, they're sent away. And, and we read that being sent out by the Holy Spirit, Barnabas and Saul, they, they go down to Seleucia, and from there they sail on to Cyprus. And then they reach an area named Salamis, and it's on the eastern end of Cyprus, and they begin to preach the Word of God in the Jewish synagogues. And they also, they're, again, at the same time, they're mentoring John Mark, He's, he's tagging along with them. So they leave Antioch, they go 16 miles to Seleucia, and then they go another 100 miles on to Cyprus and, and Salamis, and, and they proclaim the Word of God, the three of these men, in the Jewish synagogues. And, and so, again, as we, as we know, the Jewish folks read the Law and the Prophets. That's our Old Testament. And that's what they're reading in the synagogue. And so... Barnabas and Saul are saying, you know, that is great what you're seeing because it's the Word of God. Let me connect the dots to the Messiah. Let me tell you about Jesus. That's what they're doing. And so they, they, they're traveling around and, and going to these synagogues. And they go through the entire island. And they go to a, an area called Paphos, and it's the southwestern end of Cyprus. And they find, lo and behold, they find a magician. He's a Jewish false prophet, and his name is Bar-Jesus. And Bar-Jesus is hanging out with the proconsul, or the governor, who is named Sergius Paulus. And it says here he's a man of intelligence. He's a smart man. And this man, Sergius Paulus, he summons Barnabas and Saul 
because he wants to hear more about the Word of God. I've told you about the Holy Spirit always being at work. When you have someone who is in some role of civic or public authority, at whatever level, local all the way up to the top, <laughs> and they're interested in the Word of God, whoo, that's a good thing. You know, we as Christ followers need to be involved in our local government and on up. Well, this man Paulus, he's intelligent and he wants to hear more about Barnabas and Saul. And so he's impressed by them. But his associate, this man named Bar-Jesus, who's also known by an Aramaic name, Alemus. Alemus is opposed to Barnabas and Saul because he doesn't want to lose the governor's ear. And he's afraid of them turning the governor from him. He's very selfish. And so he's, he's saying some things, and we don't know exactly what. We don't know all that Alemus is saying to the governor, but it's probably not all that different from deterring remarks which are being said in this day. Remarks that question the truth of God's Word. Is it true? Is it valid? Does God's Word really matter now? I want you to write this Scripture down. It's one which I have pointed to on more than one occasion, but I want you just to write it down. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Paul would write this letter to Timothy, and he would say this. He would say that all Scripture is God-breathed. In the same way that God breathed life into Adam at the beginning, God has breathed this Word. It's holy, it's of God, and it is intentional. It is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching. And then there's a word which Paul uses. It's not only useful for teaching, it's useful for rebuking. Well, a rebuke, rebuke, we don't, that's not a word we use. But when I am rebuked, I am being called out for being wrong. You know, we're not always right about everything. It's awful as that sounds. You're not always going to be right. I'm not always going to be right. And so what happens? We are rebuked. We're called, God's word calls us out when we're wrong. But even better, we are given correction. Because he's always wanting to point us toward him. And so we are corrected. And then it says we can be trained in righteousness. And then Paul would say, this it's God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What does that mean? I'll tell you. That this scripture is sufficient. It explains itself. You'll see things in the Old Testament which you don't understand that lo and behold are explained in the New Testament. And vice versa. It's God's Word, Jesus the living Word. It's all about Him and it all connects to Him and it is sufficient. And is it true? Absolutely. 
Is it valid? Absolutely, without a doubt. Does it matter now? Absolutely, without a doubt, you can place your eternity upon it. We don't know what Elemus is saying, but Elemus is being a problem. I want you to see verse 9. Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared at Elemus. Saul, who is also known as Paul. For the first time in the New Testament, we are introduced to Paul. A name change. Saul, a name of Jewish and Greek origin, to Paul, which is a Roman name. And lots of Bible teachers have said lots of things over lots of years. And, and, and some have said that this possibly, maybe in some way, points back to this convert Sergius Paulus. Uh, or maybe the name Paul, see, the name Paul can be translated as small or the least of the apostles. If you were to flip over to, to one of Paul's letters, 1 Corinthians, and if you were to turn to chapter 15, verse 9, you'd see Paul's claim regarding himself. Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. We know that story. We remember the story about Saul on the Damascus Road. Well, Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he stares at Elemus and he says, You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil. Paul's a pretty smart man. You know, this name... Elemus, his other name, Bar-Jesus, that actually means son of the Lord. But Paul's saying, you're not a son of the Lord, you're a child of the devil. And he says, you're an enemy of all righteousness. Will you not stop making crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Paul... He shares the content of, of the message of the Holy Spirit. Elemus is full of all deceit. Elemus is called a son of the devil... Elemus is perverting the ways of the Lord. How is Elemus perverting the ways of the Lord? Well, we don't know specifics. Maybe he's, I would say he's probably discrediting the Word of God. Because that's what Barnabas and, and Paul have been teaching. Elemus might be distorting specifics of, of the truths of God's Word. You know that happens today. Often we want to read things in God's Word which just aren't there. There, there are preachers and teachers who superimpose their wishes over what the Word actually says. They'll say, well, God's Word says, well, God's Word may not say that. <laughs> it may sound good. But all we know is that Luke, the writer of Acts, all we know that he tells us, he, he, he says for Paul to tell Elemus to stop making crooked the straight ways of the Lord, this tells us two facts. Number one, the ways of the Lord are straight. If you think about what you just read, the ways of the Lord are straight. And that Elemus is making them crooked. 
So Paul, Paul says, Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. So what happens? Immediately a, a mist and a darkness falls upon Elimus. And he goes about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. He's blind and he's grasping, he's grasping for guidance. You know, Saul, Paul, knows what it's like to have the hand of the Lord against him as well as to be blinded, doesn't he? Well, the proconsul, the governor, is watching all of this. <laughs> and it says he believes when he sees what, what is happening. He believes. He, he places his faith in what they're saying about God and God's Son. The governor sees what is happening to Elimus, and he is amazed at the teaching of the Lord. And it's like he says, if this, if this is what happens when one stands against the Lord, oh my, everything Paul has said must be true. So, what have we seen about the Holy Spirit? What? does Scripture say? The Holy Spirit calls out persons for ministry. The, the Holy Spirit sends these persons out. The Holy Spirit works in conjunction with the Word of God. The Holy Spirit infuses the proclamation of the Word of God in, in, in its preaching and its teaching. And there should be amazement at the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. And you see, selfishly, I want to see the amazing power of the Holy Spirit at work. I, I, I want to see His power grow in my life. I, I want to see his, his power grow in the lives of my wife and my children. I, I want to see the power of the Holy Spirit increase in the lives of my church family. That's what your pastor wants for you. And, and this means that we have to be open to both his correction and direction. We can't have the Lord's direction if we don't take his correction. I'm going to reverse engineer this. I'm going to start at the end, and I'm going to work back. Remember, the Holy Spirit came to deal with sin. How do we have the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit has come to God's people after Jesus' ascension. Why, why did Jesus ascend? Well, Jesus was resurrected. Well, why was Jesus resurrected? Because Jesus was killed, and He came back to life. Why was Jesus killed? He was killed for sin, our sin. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross to deal with our sin? And sin is why Jesus came to dwell with us in the first place, was our sin. God loves us so much, and He, and he wants to see us restored to Him. That's why He has given us Jesus. And Jesus' death is the means 
to that restoration. We, we experience the grace of God, His, His forgiveness, when we turn from sin. That's how a faith journey begins. It, it's when we realize that we're sinners and we need, we need forgiveness, we need, we need grace, but we've got to turn from sin. Jesus' first sermon in Matthew chapter 4 began with this word, repent. Jesus is, yes, full of love and full of grace, but his first sermon began with the word, word repent, which means to turn from sin. Thanks be to God for His grace. But you know what? This thing about sin and grace, it's not really grace if sin is ignored or sin is embraced. Jesus paid too high a price for our sins, for us to ignore why He came. He came to deal with sin. Jesus came to save us and to experience the the power of the Holy Spirit in salvation, we must first be able to take his correction. At any stage of life, at any age, at any stage of the game, for for Jesus to be Savior, Jesus has to be Lord. Pray with me. Lord, this morning, we, we read an account where Paul, in some ways, is looking, really he's looking a demonic force straight in the face, right out of the, right out of the starting gate. And he calls it for what it is. And Lord, The beautiful thing about your Holy Spirit always being at work. You know everyone sitting in this room. You know everyone who's listening. And you know what's going on in those deepest, darkest corners of the heart. Every level of everybody. And the beautiful thing about your grace is that you're always wanting to show it. And the beautiful thing about your grace is that it's always ready to be accessed. But it depends on each one of us being able to say, Lord, I I need forgiveness for this because I've done this, or I've thought this, or I've said this, or I've really had this hard place of the heart. I've I've had this grudge against whomever. And Lord, I need your forgiveness because I need to be... I need to be more fully filled with your life. The very life of God. I need an abundance of that. We need an abundance of that. And that only comes when we turn from sin. We turn from sinful behavior, sinful thoughts, whatever those things might be. Lord, we're thankful that your Holy Spirit is at work. That, that you want to form us more toward the image of your Son. To mold us and to make us and to reshape us for your will and ultimately for your glory. 
And you know what? If it's for your glory, ultimately it's going to be for our good. We're thankful for Jesus today that he is the access, the only access that we have toward you. And the cross, which we will remember in full in just a few days with Good Friday, will be reminded again of that horrible price that Jesus had to pay for each of us. Father, have your way in your people today. Your altar is always open for us to do business with you. Lord, have your way in us. It's in your Son's strong name we pray and we worship.